0: Uh,
1: All right. right. (laughs) That's it. Welcome to the MMA curmudgeons. I'm Jonathan Snowden from the almighty BleacherReport.com, the mightiest sports website on all of the internets. Joined by Ryan Loco from RyanLoco.com, a a close number two. Close two. You're catching up. You're going to see me on BleacherReport.com, right? Oh, my goodness. By the time... That anyone listens to this podcast The very first uh, joint project between myself and Ryan Loco Besides all these wonderful podcasts The first piece of internet content uh, will be alive on the web It's a story about Chris Cyborg I wrote some words Uh, Ryan took some
0: pictures It'll be available for people to
1: look at by the time they hear this That's pretty cool
0: fantastic I've been so excited My wife is excited Everyone I've talked to is excited and uh, I'm freaking. I don't know if I said this. I'm excited. <laughs>
1: I'm pretty. I'm, it's, uh, I'm pretty pumped up about it. It's. Uh, um, I think it turned out pretty well. Like I don't want to get too cocky about how good it is, but I think it's pretty good. At the very least, Ryan's pictures are really good, and uh, I can confirm that and and vouch for the photographs in this story uh, second to none. Look, you see Chris Cyborg in a way that I don't think anybody ever has before. Exactly. Wow. wow. Um, wow. And. It,
0: these compl- I didn't get any of these it's... compliments when we were doing the project. All right.
1: Well, well it, when we were doing the project, I was just hoping that you weren't going to fall to your death. Um, <laughs> to be fair, when we were doing the like... project,
0: we were also hopped up on like soda and energy drinks and, and gas station food.
1: Nothing but gas station food. And Ryan's on top of a rickety cage. I don't know. I'm not blaming the cage. It's more like a fence that was against a wall. It was not meant for him to climb upon and take a picture down on Looking down at Chris Cyborg. He did it anyway. Ryan was left with cuts all over his arm. He did this for, for you people and for Chris and, and for his art and, uh, I think it was worth it. Your pain was worth it. I was just sitting there watching, (laughs) like, uh, and I had my camera out in case like Ryan fell to his doom. I I wanted to capture it on video just so we could put it up on the internet and be like, "This is how Ryan Loco died." Everyone laugh and then be sad.
0: I I got home and my wife was like, "What happened to you?" And then I had to explain how I almost (laughs) owned the company Ruka with a lawsuit.
1: It's not too late. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I've got we'll photographic the evidence goes. of how if the they- story
0: doesn't do well. Then I'm calling my lawyer. And we're <laughs> ready
1: to go. All right. So anyway, that's going to be out. That's pretty exciting. Almost as exciting as the main event of of UFC 214, uh, John Jones versus Daniel Cormier, which is in itself. Almost as exciting as the other main event that, that people are pitching for John Jones that's coming up after UFC 214, uh, sometime in the future, I'm sure. Now is John Jones versus Brock Lesnar, and I think uh, like a lot of people are talking about Jones versus Cormier right now, but I'm more interested in Jones versus Lesnar. I'm not sure where you are on this.
0: I've, you have the greatest MMA fighter of all time against one of the John great- Jones. Yes, John Jones. Against and it's not even a debate. Like people want to debate it, and they're, you're just clueless. If you want to debate that, you're clueless. He's the greatest. MMA well, I thought you were talking about. I, I thought you were talking about Brock Lesnar. Oh, Brock um, Lesnar is the is the greatest uh, fighter of all time. Like, period. Okay. The man can take on many forms. You know what I mean? He can wrestle. He can he can professionally wrestle. Like, how many of you guys can wrestle on a professional level? He did it at an amateur level, and he was so good at that. He won an NCAA title. He was so good. They said, you should do this professionally. And that's what he did. He might be the greatest athlete we've ever seen. My apologies to Thorpe. But to me. In the
1: history of the world.
0: Ever. To me, this is such a fantastic fight. And to see people online going, "Eh, this is stupid. I don't like this. Like, Are you out of your mind? You have a chance to see the greatest light heavyweight take on one of the best heavyweights of all time. This is the reason the sport exists. This is why, if this was pride back in the day, this fight would have already happened four times. And I would have paid for it four <laughs> times already.
1: Uh, yeah, this is why we fight in a cage, right? Or this is why we watched better men fight in a cage. Why, yeah, I mean, Why do you
0: train if you don't want to do this?
1: Like I don't know, man. Brock Lesnar's not really in the UFC rankings. Does he deserve a shot? Like (laughs) anybody who says this kind of stuff is like, is so damaged inside and hates the world and themselves to the like. I can't even fathom these people. Like the the kind of person that is interested in mixed martial arts but not interested in knowing whether or not John Jones can beat up Brock Lesnar. Like the. That's the question now in my head. Like, it's the only question that matters in all of this entire sport. And until it's answered to my satisfaction, I'm not going to be happy because that's why we have the sport is to know can John Jones, this freak athlete from a family of freak athletes, can this man, who is, by the way, taller than Brock Lesnar, has a four inch reach advantage on Brock Lesnar, what happens when this man, who is the best light heavyweight of all time, puts on 30 forty pounds in order to fight Brock Lesnar like what what is gonna can the cage even contain these like that's John Jones you're talking about okay great Brock Lesnar is like a grizzly bear if you gave it a crew cut and taught it how to hate how if you taught a grizzly bear hate in its heart you would have Brock Lesnar and the fact that there are people who don't want to see this uh, I'm getting a little bit i'm I'm a little angry i'm I'm mad right here on the internet
0: the UFC. And you need to help me because my memory is awful. I forget a lot of things, and then you jumpstart it, and then I get it back. But has the UFC has missed the boat on every hashtag quote unquote super fight ever? Correct.
1: I, I think it, yeah. So the, you have to say at this point that's that's true. I mean, they didn't give us um, we didn't Brock get GSP versus... Anderson. We did not get oh, Anderson
0: just... John Jones.
1: Right. We, and going back further than that, we didn't – I mean when it was really the big fight, we didn't get Vanderle Silva against Chuck Liddell. Nope. We didn't get Sakuraba versus Frank Shamrock. Uh, we didn't get Randy Couture versus Lesnar. We didn't get Randy Couture versus Fedor. We didn't get Anderson Silva versus John Jones. Like they have let us down over and over again. We didn't get GSP versus Anderson Silva. We didn't get Ronda Rousey against Chris Cyborg. Uh, how many more ways can they fuck this up?
0: Well, we did get Randy Couture versus Lesnar.
1: Yes, yes, but we didn't get Randy Couture versus Fedor or Lesnar versus Fedor.
0: Oh, Lesnar versus Fedor. Okay, maybe I heard you wrong, or maybe you said it wrong. I'm going to say that you messed it up, not me. But either way, if yes. I if
1: I said it if I said it wrong, though, I'm going to edit it out, and then Perfect. you're going to look. Stu- I'm going to look so dumb. But yes,
0: so <laughs> this is <laughs> their so chance. Stupid. This is literally their chance to save face. To say, you know what, guys, I wish they would just someone would come on screen and go, hey, you know what, we messed up. We admit it. We blew it we're apologizing and now we're going to give you this. And I think that because we're all suckers at heart that we would say, "Hey, thanks. UFC's not so bad. Here's our money and in fact, let us pay for UFC 215 as well."
1: All right. So, how do you think that poor Daniel Cormier feels like they they kind of like somebody drops the idea of Brock lesnar versus john jones probably brock lesnar because his wwe contract is going to run out and he wants to have uh something to negotiate against wwe with like hey i can go do this other thing give me more money but they they announced this fight and everyone's like Uh, yeah that's that's a great idea or that's a terrible idea nobody says but what if daniel cormier wins like i I haven't seen anybody say that like how can you think about lesnar versus jones what if daniel cormier wins like not a single person has said that even daniel cormier sitting in his hotel room being like yeah that John, john lesnar that's pretty cool like nobody thinks daniel is gonna win
0: we're all sitting here hoping that john wins so that this becomes a possibility and that's if you I, weren't I, before you are now. Absolutely. And what's crazy is if someone said, "Hey, do you want to see Cormier versus Lesnar?" I'd be like mm, I mean, I'd watch. Actually, it. I would I would I would also like to see that cuz I think I'd want to see it. Yeah, I want to see Lesnar against yeah. anyone. If you told me Lesnar was fighting a broom, I'd do it. <laughs>
1: I've always like kind of had the the I don't know if I've said that on this podcast, but I know I've I've said it to people. Um, I I've always thought that like there's the the off chance that Daniel Cormier would have been the best MMA heavyweight uh, of his era had he continued fighting as a heavyweight. You know he was undefeated in that weight class and he had uh, beaten up some pretty good fighters like uh, Frank Mir and and Josh Barnett and, and a bunch of guys and. Uh, he had this like he still he was still really strong but he had an advantage in quickness over most of the heavyweights and uh i i really think that if daniel cormier had not gone to light heavyweight he would probably be the heavyweight champion right now in the ufc and so that i i am in, in, intrigued by the idea of him fighting lesnar but instead he went to light heavyweight where there just happened to be the greatest fighter of all time and it's sort of like almost a a tragedy in in a way because if there wasn't john jones i think we we'd all be talking about daniel cormier as as arguably the best mma fighter ever people would be making that case because he'd be undefeated he'd be the light heavyweight champion uh he would possess like a a striking and wrestling game of a kind that we've never seen from anyone before and then it's just kind of unfortunate for him that he exists at the same time that john jones is alive and that's a that's kind of unfortunate for anybody who wants to to be the top light heavyweight. That's just bad luck.
0: Hey man, then then's the break. You know what's crazy if you think about it, let's say that Cormier would have stayed at heavyweight. The idea of Jones versus Cormier at this point would have been an incredible super fight. Right. You'd be pumping it up. And instead we're sitting here like, eh. I do like I'm I know this fight is a big deal. I get it. It's it's but the I, this whole card is a big deal, but I feel like they've done such a disservice. I don't feel like there's any energy behind this. I, I don't feel super excited for this card that's coming up. And quite frankly, the way that it's being sold to me with Cormier not really, like... He, Cormier doesn't act like the guy who lost to John Jones. He's He's got this weird thing in, in his head that, like... John doesn't need Daniel as weird as they want to say it. And they were really going to put it on these promos or anything like that. Daniel needs John and they should have been selling it the whole time as Daniel needs John to validate everything. And instead they flipped it the other way around.
1: Yeah, I think it's, it, it's definitely true that I, it, it's uh, that Daniel is the one with everything to prove. I think that John beat him every round, in their last fight, not only that, but like beat him where he was strongest, uh, took him down and, and really like proved himself the better fighter. And so I think it would be an even more compelling story right now. If, if you're, if you're right, if Daniel Cormier was saying things like, yes, I have the belt, but until I beat John Jones, I haven't proven to myself that I'm really the champion. Like if that was what he was saying right now, I think this would be an even hotter promotion because, uh, You would, you know, that would be people would be more invested. We'd see that he was more invested, and and I think in 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 reality he probably does think that, right? He can't. How could you not? Like he knows that he lost that fight, and he knows that everybody considers John the better fighter. So to pretend like you know John is proving something against him, he's already proven that. Like you're the one with something to prove, and and it, it would be more compelling if it was more real. And that's what's that's what's real is that Daniel needs to prove that he's better than John Jones and they're not even that's not even part of their storyline and maybe that is a, a misstep in in some way
0: I feel like the UFC and, and MMA fighters in general they really do themselves a disservice in regards to the storytelling um, I f- I feel like and I know you tweeted this earlier that like it's so hard for like you to get you know MMA fighters that want to talk and tell their story when it's a complete opposite way for every other sport like people are pitching you all the time And there's so many like different stories and tales that these guys and these women could tell, but they keep it hidden or they just don't feel like talking. And they're really missing out. Like if you want to make money, if you want to sell pay-per-views, you need to invest in – like make me invest in you personally. And it doesn't matter if I've never seen you fight before. If you tell me a story that all of a sudden I connect with, now you are – like my wife is that person. She'll see a story and be like, oh my god, that's my new favorite fighter.
1: And, and we've seen that in action, like so many times, uh, in, in various ways, where like uh, the audience feels like they know the fighter, and suddenly they care about him a lot more. Uh, I think the the great example. Was the first season of The Ultimate Fighter back when everyone who was interested in the sport was watching it. They were seeing this with new eyes and seeing it for the first time and meeting the athletes for the first time. And like all of those people, like you didn't necessarily have to love the way that Stephen Bonner fought or love the way that Forrest Griffin did or Diego Sanchez or Kenny Florian. Like, and, and the list just continues on. Like, you just got to know who they were and, and people then followed them because of that. And that, that is kind of it's harder to stand out now. Like, you know, there are so many fighters on television, so many fights. You need to be, if you're a fighter or that fighter's management, you need to be doing everything in your power to to stand out. Even in like some small way, uh, even with like a small group of people, and then you just build on it, and you build on it every time. Otherwise, you're you're just going to be this anonymous fighter in the middle of the UFC pack and, until you lose a couple of times, and then you're gone because nobody cares. You haven't made anybody care, and uh, a lot of it's lost on a lot of people. And I and I understand that there's a lot of pressure to prepare your, yourself for the athletic contest, but. In the prize fighting business, there's there's like a whole other element, and and you are you are selling. Like an NFL player doesn't have to sell fans on the NFL. They're already coming to the game. They already watch on TV. They're already invested in the team. Sometimes for years before you ever signed, like they already care. Like a fighter, you have to make them care. There's a lot of fighters. There's only a few that people care about. If you want to be one of them, it like it's incumbent on you. No one's going to do it for you. You have to you have to let people into your world, and it's uh, it's not always easy to um, convince people of that. I guess it seems like self evident to me, but I'm I'm not the kind of person who becomes a cage fighter, so maybe we don't think the same way they do.
0: I mean, do you think that like a lot of these fighters for some reason have this idea in their head that like, uh, man, I just all I need to do is fight. And people will find me. All I need to do is fight, and sponsors will send me money. All I need to do is fight and focus on training, and people will like my story. Will get out. Like, is it like it's like this weird ego that the the fighters have? But it, it's really kind of only in the MMA s- sector where there's like a lot of boxers. Like they're very eager to tell their story and tell where they came from and and why boxing is so important to them and why they need to do this and why they need to succeed. For their family, whereas MMA fighters are kind of like, yo, I'm just going to focus on fighting. I ain't here to talk.
1: <laughs> it, it is an interesting difference because, you know, once I, I started writing stories in the boxing world, uh, I realized, like, the dynamic is entirely different. And, then, and I'm not sure it's necessarily the boxer that, like,. Uh, that uh, sees it that way, like has a different opinion. Maybe the boxer wouldn't do the press either if if no one was telling him or her to. But the the main difference I think is that it's kind of like part of the structure in in boxing is that there's there's more people paying attention to the to the fighter. Like they have a manager and they have a trainer and and they have. Uh, an active promoter, and then there's the television network. And and all of them are are keen on getting the the fighter story out because they realize that you're selling the individual fighters and not just like boxing, hashtag boxing, the way UFC sells hashtag UFC as like a brand. Like you can't just sell boxing. You have to sell an individual boxer. Uh, Otherwise, no one's going to watch. And so everyone kind of understands that, and there's like a team of publicists that's involved, and they're pitching you ideas, and they're very open to giving you access. And it's uh it it is a little bit different because it, in um, in MMA it seems like the fighter and their whole team is just like you see UFC's job to promote the fighter. Uh, we don't have to worry about that. We just have to worry about winning. And I want to get the local. Uh, supplement shop to give us some free vitamins and maybe there's like a car detailing place that'll give us $500 like that's the level of engagement of an MMA manager for the most part and so it is pretty different
0: yeah it's 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 definitely odd man I think there's a lot of stories out there I know I know that you you know try to push that and you and you want to be the one to help tell those stories and it's just It's just super surprising. Like you you feel like everyone would be out there, especially because with the new structure and how everything is like the the ability to make money is is so small and, and the options are limited. So you figure like the more you're out there, the better you do
1: yeah and you know it's not even just i mean obviously i want to tell stories but i can't tell all of the stories i can tell like a couple a month at, at a maximum so i mean the it's it's selfless advice in in some ways because it's not just going to benefit me but I, I would like to see these fighters telling their stories to to whoever is interested in helping them tell it um whether it's me or somebody else but you should be telling them like uh make make us care we want to care like we, we are geared as human beings to, to care, to want to care about the athletes, to be interested in what's going on. That's the reason when you watch like mainstream sports, especially like if you watch the Olympics or something, right? Like it's, it, it's very geared towards telling you the human interest side of the athlete story. And, uh, that would be really important to mix martial artists too. And, um, uh, Hopefully, we just take a crack at it, one swing at a time, like with the cyborg story, and um, show show these show people the value of of sharing yourself with with the world. Because I think um, Chris cyborg was was very open with us and um, sharing like pieces of her life and, and talking real honestly about her feelings and, and and about some of the things that have happened in her professional career and her personal life. And like, uh, I, I left like feeling like I I really like Chris Cyborg and hopefully uh, people will read that our story and, and kind of um, come to the same conclusion. I, I, and and at the very least I I hope they think it's interesting that she's an interesting person worth paying attention to. And that's kind of the, the whole deal.
0: Oh, I, I left from that telling everyone I know that Chris Cyborg is the sweetest person I think I've ever met and that I, I root for her success now like i i was always a fan of her and then after meeting her i was like well that's it done deal locked <laughs> right like i like i can't even pretend to be like
1: unbiased like i would never be like i'm going to i you know i can't pick a side between chris and whoever she's fighting like no it's going to be chris every yeah. time like uh and maybe that you're not supposed to say that but whatever that's uh that's get, the truth
0: you're going to get banned from the ufc for doing that john um <laughs> question for you because you mentioned the olympics and now my head is spinning do you think that with the like when they have a fox card when it's on the big fox that the ufc would actually do itself a benefit to almost structure it like the olympics do it where instead of like throwing in the four or six fights and just bam 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 instead giving us like a 10 minute break 15 minute break in between fights where that little story plays so now, like you have kind of a backstory, especially with the, uh, a broader audience, because I know with the Olympics, where i you could put badminton on and I'll watch it. and All of a sudden, a package comes on where it says, "And this is so and so who's played badminton since he was two, but he did it to escape <laughs> this because his grandfather was dying." And all of a sudden, you're like, "Oh my god!" Well, this guy has to win.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of tough, right? Because if you say like that, MMA should should do that. Like uh, every hardcore fan is gonna be really angry at us (laughs) because uh you know there's already an issue of like the ufc cards that are on tv like running for hours like in hours and hours and so um yeah i don't know if the during the broadcast is the time to have a long video package maybe for for select fighters especially if it's like a, a big fighter and they have a good story um maybe but maybe you do it in in um in other ways like side programming and and try to make it attractive and well done. And maybe people find it. I don't know. That's a good question. I wonder um, maybe it'd be worth exploring. I think definitely if you want to attract a mainstream uh, audience uh, of both genders, uh, you know, I think it it definitely seems like it's a a style of of sports broadcast that women like for sure.
0: Take a Fox card and just for the co-main and the main event, You put on like a little four to seven minute video package before each fight. So you have your full run. You had your prelims where everyone's happy. And now it's like we're making the co-main and main something special. Hey, call your buddy in. Call your brother in. Call your sister in and be like, hey, watch this little thing. Watch this story on Chris Cyborg. Like, see why I like her. And then, oh, okay, cool. Now, now I want to see this fight that she's about to fight it. Because that, that was the best part of the Olympics is you get this story of someone and then all of a sudden they're standing there about to, you know, go off the starting line. So it's like you're emotionally invested and now I get to have a payoff.
1: I'm sold. You, you sold me.
0: Again, give us money. Um. <laughs> <laughs> we will make you money.
1: All also, right, so, um... Um,
0: we are very good at pissing off fans. Because on Twitter, they were very mad at us. so.
1: <laughs> well, whatever. Um, so uh, we took, we've took we both taken trips since uh, our trip to Los Angeles and Huntington Beach to, to visit um, Chris Cyborg. I, I went to Albuquerque, and you've probably been a bunch of places. But um, it's really interesting. Have you ever been to Albuquerque where Greg Jackson and Michael John's MMA facility is located?
0: Uh, I have not. No, I've not been to the new one. I went to the old one. So I've not been But so you've been it.
1: to but you've been to Albuquerque, New oh, yes. Mexico because you always because you wonder like, "Well, how does this sport like this is now like an international sport, but like mm-hmm. it, the epicenter for like the training and many of the great fighters is a place Albuquerque, New Mexico." And you're like, well, "How the heck does the sport the greatest fighters come out of Albuquerque, New Mexico?" But then you go there and you like kind of realize, like, yeah, like you pretty much have to be a badass MMA fighter to even survive in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Like, maybe it's just a necessity. And and you know, people in Albuquerque were born to be MMA fighters. Does that seem like it's reasonable?
0: Well, I I know you did a a long form story on Greg Jackson a couple of years ago, right?
1: Yeah, that's true. Or maybe it was last year. At all, I can't ever remember.
0: Um, At I'm some point, to re- I did. I'm trying to remember, though. Was he born in Albuquerque, or did he migrate there? He moved there as a very young kid. Yeah, I feel like as someone who's been to Albuquerque and seen what it has to offer, I feel like it kind of does harden you. Like, it makes you sort of tough, and, I, and it makes you, you know, kind of need to have your wits about you. Um, and, and definitely, I feel like it's a town where you're there going, I need to find something. And so something like a martial arts school would definitely be something that grabs you. But at the same time, and again, my experience there was limited, there didn't seem to be much else to do there. So if, <laughs> if you wanted to like, focus on one thing, that would be a great city to do it
1: and i don't want to completely disparage it like it, there's also like beautiful deserts and mountains and uh, there, there's a lot about it i really liked but there's also like a vague like feeling of menace in many places like it feels like you might get stabbed almost anywhere you go like remember when we were in huntington beach for the chris cyborg story and we're in a parking garage and first like some people like roll up in their truck and they're they're giving us like the eye, like they're going to jump, they're going to jump us. And then like immediately afterwards, a dude rolls up on his BMX bicycle, like a grown man on a BMX bike on like the third story of a parking garage. And he's looking to fight another guy because they threw uh, some water off the roof of the garage and almost hit him. And like just the, the general feeling of, of that parking garage in that moment is what it feels like to be in Albuquerque, New Mexico, like every second.
0: <laughs> i mean there's, they do have green chili stuff though that was good they do and i liked it i'm not even saying i dislike
1: that feeling and maybe i was it's in my head but either way um i understand like why it would compel you to want to learn how to do uh the martial arts i think there's a reason that that, that people there are are drawn to to learning how to defend themselves and uh and it's worked out for, for all of us as fans because it's, um, I, I really enjoy the, the fighters that come out of there. And, and, and Greg and, and Mike Winklejohn and Brandon Gibson are, are a delight, like an absolute delight. So
0: so, um, you, you've been to a lot of gyms, I imagine, for stories. Um, and sometimes you walk in a gym and you sort of have that feeling like this is different. This is not normal do you do you get that when you go into jackson jackson wink like do you have that feeling of like, yeah, I get it, I get why there's a lot of success here
1: I, I get it when i when I talk to the coaches and I think um it it's interesting with the when you talk to people about the new facility there because it's it's a much bigger building than they've had in the past and um but it, it i think for like the old school people it does have a different feel because like a, a mixed martial arts is a business where it's very hard to make a living right for the the coaches and trainers uh, who are not independently wealthy, like they don't own a tool company or they weren't real estate millionaires or whatever. Um, just talking randomly here, not about specific other people that own fight camps. But, um, you know, Mr. Winklejohn and Mr. Jackson are, are not independently wealthy, so they need to make a living. And so what they've done is that they've rented out rooms like they have apartments and dorms at, at the top on the top floor of the of the gym and and they bring in uh young fighters from all over the world to pay them rent they live in the new gym and so they get the opportunity to train with all these world-class fighters and and to be there all the time honing their skills and uh, occasionally getting to work with the, the top trainers and it's uh, it's really interesting and i think it's a great idea but it, it also i think does create a somewhat different environment for the, for the fighters that are used to it being like a, a closer knit circle. So it, 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 it's a work in progress over there, I think. And uh, it's interesting to see how they meet the challenges, the monetary challenges that come from, that come with uh, trying to make a living in this sport, because the same, you know, we talk a lot about fighters struggling and fighter pay, but you know, that trickles down to everyone trying to make a living in the sport whether they're a trainer or a a specific coach for a skill set or a journalist or a photographer like you know we're we're all just trying to to make it and uh that's their strategy right now at Jackson Wink and we'll see how it turns out
0: is there like a graduation process there like in the sense of like well you're you just came here you're an amateur you don't get to train with Greg and Wink is not holding pads for you until this (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, that's for sure. So um, I can't speak for for Coach Wink, but um, definitely for for Greg Jackson, like uh, he because of like time, the demands on his time. And like if you watch MMA, you know, the world all the time. Like um, he can't train every fighter that there or, uh, all the time. They do have like group classes, and and he will lead some group classes, and he does one on ones with fighters that he's working on, who are primarily like uh, fighters that, FC. But he doesn't even do like the everyday training for for most of the top fighters there. So yeah, it's definitely like this. Like certainly, if you came there, and paid your money, you paid your rent money, and you were training there, you would meet Greg, and you would probably you would. Do- classes with them and maybe brandon would hold pads for you sometimes if you prove to them like it's all about proving to the coaches that you're there to work hard and and that you have some potential and and that you want it and and there's they're genuine and nice people i think and so like if you're dim that that you care and you're willing to try um you're going to get your chance to to work with top fighters and and some of the trainers and um but but you do i think i do think you have to prove it to them like they have to see that you want it and that you're willing to work for it and so it's it's like anything else in life right
0: yeah but you know what sometimes i i i think i think that that is not necessarily what happens in all gyms you know i think there's probably people that have gone to albuquerque and been like yo i want to train with greg and like no you can't and they're like but i'm four and oh But uh, I have, you know, I I, I fought at this show. I was the main event in this show in frickin' uh, Iowa. And they're like, great, good for you. But they have such a respect there, and they command such a respect there that you really can't argue with it, you know? Like, you can't go in there and be like, I'm top dog. Because you'd be like, well, no, actually, the greatest MMA fighter of all time is right over there. So you're really not top dog. Go sit over there. Go mop the floor.
1: (laughs) Right. I mean, so that's the thing is, like, you know, And I I do think being in the room kind of like uh, cures you of that probably fairly quickly because you do go in there for like like just like what would be like a normal uh, MMA night. A, a jiu jitsu class for a jiu jitsu for MMA class for the pros, so like the kind of stuff that you would have at M- any MMA gym. Only like we're there and we're watching, like Holly Holm is there, and Michelle Watterson, and John Dodson, and uh, BJ Penn, and Diego Sanchez, and John Jones. Like, you're not coming in there as like a, a dude from like a, in uh, a midwestern indie show with a four and two re- record and being like hey you gotta pay attention to me like you're just going in there and hoping you survive uh and so it, it i mean it is kind of uh, it, it could be intimidating i would imagine if you're a fighter like uh you're gonna have to bring it if you're gonna be there because the people there are just uh, are monsters like the best fighters there are literally the best fighters in the world, and it's uh, it's pretty crazy to to be in there and, and and see them all do their thing.
0: So, since you did the long form on Greg, what brought you back to Jackson's? Uh,
1: um, or is that top well, secret? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I if I can talk about that. I mean, obviously, people will see it. Thing, and I probably shouldn't talk about this either, but. Um, when I'm done with the Ken Shamrock book uh, that I'm writing right now, there is a decent chance that I might write a book about a year in the life of the the Jackson Winkle John Jim, and and follow uh, what it's like for for fighters uh, in this sport on various levels, and uh, what it's like to be a coach uh, working with these fighters. Like uh, there, as you know, there's so many stories that never get told uh, about how difficult this sport is. Uh, everywhere you can imagine, like physically, mentally, financially, emotionally, like there are stories that we've barely seen, like the tip of the iceberg on. And and I think it would be really cool to, to go to a place like this and, and like show people what, what it's really like to, to give so much of yourself to pursue a dream and the uh, what we're better to to learn about that than Jackson Winklejohns? Like I, I I just think it's a an opportunity I might not be able to pass up.
0: I love it. So when you write a book, because like for me when I take a photo, there's a lot of times where I take photos and it's like in my brain it's like I have to take this photo and people are like what is it for something? I go no, it's for me. Like I have to do it. And if I don't take this photo, if I don't get this vision out of my head, it's gonna kill me. Is it that? Do you have that sometimes when you're writing like this Ken Shamrock book? Or are you like. I have to tell this story. I don't care if one person buys it. Obviously, we want more than one person to buy it, but I don't <laughs> care because for me, I, it's something I have to do.
1: Yeah, like uh, totally. I've never like uh, I'm always kind of like amused by uh, the idea of like oh you know you're doing this for clicks or or another version of that is for money. Like you hope people will buy this like. I think if you've been if you've been in this business long enough, you have to go with the assumption that no one's ever going to click on anything and no one's going to buy anything. Like so, um, everything I've ever done that I've really loved and enjoyed, uh, I've done because I wanted to do it, and I'm, I've continued with that mindset. And so, yeah, absolutely. Like, I assume that there are some people out there that that will be interested in Ken Shamrock's story because you know Ken has earned a lot of fans and respect over the years, and he has an interesting story. But uh, mostly I just want to tell it. You're right. There is, like, a compulsion. There's some people and things that you're drawn to as you cover the sport, like, and they're different for every person. Like, I never try to think that, like, everyone's going to have the same emotional attachment to different things that I do. But it just so happens for me, like, when I started as a fan, like, the the first event that I watched was UFC 3, and it's just, like... uh, so I've been on this journey with Ken Shamrock since since I was like just graduating from high school and now, now like I'm an old man with like kids of my own and it's like we we've been on this path like together in some ways and so like it's really exciting for me to to get to learn about his life and and how he got to be in in the cage in the first place and then what his life was like after that like uh yeah it's like it definitely it, the story calls to me and and the first time i went to albuquerque and met greg jackson like it is it's much the same way it's just like uh something about greg is very fascinating and to see the dynamic in his gym is is um it, it just like demands that someone tell the story in a way that that does them justice like and, and that's what's important to me is like not just uh because it'll make me feel good but because like i think ken deserves to have his story told and i think uh, the people at jackson's deserve their story to be told and i i can only hope that i'm like we're I'm, I'm up to the task of doing it and like i'm sure you feel the same like when you take a photograph it's like i hope that you, you're you hoping you can show the world like what you see through the camera and uh sometimes you, you deliver and probably sometimes you don't like your vision but um you have to take a shot at it right
0: absolutely i mean there's there's so many times where i think a lot of times too and i imagine it's the same for writing it's like there's times where i see things maybe in people that they don't see or i tell them like no you don't get it like this portrait shows me this, and like, oh, you know, like, oh, I never thought of myself that way, or I never saw myself in that way, and it, it sort of just like it just, it's something inside of you that it just is. It, it's like a little like that little drop when you're going to bed and you hear the sink, boom, 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 <laughs> boom and you can't do anything else. Like that is just con- completely taking over your whole life. And for me, that for me, that's what oftentimes a lot of things are and in, in photography wise. And that's why I bug a lot of people like, Hey, I'm, I want to take photo of you like this. And what for? I just have to, if I don't, my brain's going to explode. And, uh, I mean, that's, it's kind of the way I, I do things. It's kind of impulsive, but at the same time with a purpose. Um, but I wonder, you know, you're writing this Ken Shamrock book and, and, and you have potential things in the works for, for other MMA stuff and Winkle John Jackson Winkle John, it it almost feels like MMA is moving so fast that we're going to lose these stories and these people are going to be gone before we've actually had the chance to learn about them. Like I feel like the, the, the pre Zufa era is just such a far distant memory. And now we're having cards every four days. It feels like, so everything is getting shoved, shoved so fast down our throats that we're, we're going to lose sight of a lot of these guys. And it's going to be one of those things where in 20 years, we're going to be like, man someone should have went back and asked this guy this before he passed away you know
1: <laughs> that is exactly right like and that's part of what what drives me to these particular stories and not necessarily like uh who's the latest hottest fighter let's talk to them right this moment like it's not even hyperbole to say that like ken shamrock was there for the cre- creation of modern mixed martial arts both in japan uh, with with Pancras and and here with the UFC and then he was part of the early Pride days. It's like this guy was was central to like creating and selling this sport from its earliest days. Like how many times do you ever get an opportunity to to talk to someone like that and to tell their story? Like can you imagine like being there in like the late eighteen hundreds, or whenever they were creating baseball, or the nineteen twenties when football became like a big thing, and and you had an opportunity to, to be there on the ground with like Jim Thorpe or whatever and tell his story to the world, it's like, uh, is this is such a rare opportunity and we're, we're still in a place where you can have access to the people in this sport in the way that you never could to like LeBron James or Kobe Bryant or, or Michael Jordan. But like the Michael Jordan of mixed martial arts, I I can fly to where he lives and go to his house and sit down with him and his wife and have a conversation about his life. Like this is um, an opportunity that like, Will never exist again in the world. So like, it's like my obligation to do it. Like, we this is the time. This is the only time. And so you're right. Like we've got to tell these stories now. Like Greg Jackson, when he was first uh, learning about ground fighting and stuff, like they were they were going to jujitsu tournaments and driving around, and this wasn't even really a thing yet, and they were like learning by watching and then breaking down what had happened and figuring out ways to counter what had happened and how to attack in their own way uh, against the positions that they found themselves in against like Gracie Jiu Jitsu trained fighters. Like these are the people that invented this stuff. Like the, most of the, the mixed martial arts strategies that, that we see, like a lot of them came from the mind of Greg Jackson and Mike Winklejohn. Like, how could you not want to tell their story? Like what what an opportunity uh so uh, yeah it, it does get me i don't know if you could tell it gets me interested and yeah. excited like just think just thinking about it like wow like i might get to do this like that's crazy and so um yeah even if nobody bought it which uh, i don't i hope is not true but even if not like just to to have it out there for the future so people don't forget and like in a hundred years when someone says like can you believe they used to let people fight in a cage for money like that story will be written down somewhere. And uh, I hope that's valuable.
0: Well, I know that everyone hates you, but I feel like they will, <laughs> bu- they will buy your book. I don't hate you. I don't understand why people hate you, but I will buy your book. None of the good people hate me. So, that's right. Um, and that was actually you know your, doesn't cue, hate? That was your cue to say, no, man, I'll send you a copy.
1: Oh, I yeah, I, I'll send you a copy. All right, cool, thanks. Um, absolutely. Maybe we'll even... Uh, figure out a way for you to take some photographs. That would be awesome. Perfect. Um, so you know who doesn't hate me, or who who does hate me, but is still cooperative. That's uh, the listeners, the listeners of this very podcast. Oh, uh, they
0: love you. Don't let them you. They at least,
1: uh, I think they might. Yeah. And so some of them even sent us some questions. Love it. In which we are we are uh, obligated to answer by the law. The law of this nation, if if someone asks you a question on Twitter. I
0: abide by all laws, ever.
1: (laughs) So um, are you ready? Are we ready to to do this part? Hit me with it. All right. All right. So Ed Molina asks, do you think Dana White slash Ari from Entourage are pushing Mighty Mouse and Amanda Nunez, uh, are punishing them rather, by putting them on UFC 215, because that's going to be a card that's sandwiched in between uh, McGregor and Mayweather and Canelo and Triple G, and it's going to follow UFC 214. And I guess the, the premise is that uh, the evil Dana White is uh, putting these people who have, he has been feuding with in some way in a position to fail by by making them like you're not going to buy a thousand pay-per-views in two months. This will be the one people skip. That's presumably the thought. Do you think that's
0: intentional or, or not? Well, it's what's crazy to think about is that as the promoter, it was weird. It'd be weird for him to sabotage his own promotion. And yet at the same time, it almost sort of feels that way. Like I, I don't get it. I don't get the reasoning behind it. Um, I, I would hope that that's not true. Because in in the long like would you really it's like cutting off your nose to spite your face sorry grandma I stole that from you, but uh <laughs> like to say that we'll show them we'll put on a sh- we'll do a low selling pay per view ha ha and then like what does that pr- like what does that get you like help me understand yeah so. It. Well, so I think there's also
1: another way to look at it and it's not very flattering for Mighty Mouse or Amanda, but the other way you could look at it is that UFC says, All right, like, you know, this is this one's not gonna well because of all the reasons I just said. Like, so let's put somebody who we know is already gonna do poorly uh, who has a track record of doing poorly on pay-per-view which is, who is mighty Mouse like you know love him or not is we love him as hardcore fans some of us but he has a track record of selling poorly on pay-per-view so I don't think you need like a conspiracy to make that happen it's gonna happen anyway and so it makes sense then to put it in a slot that you don't think is gonna be successful like it's gonna hurt a card that might sell well it, it might it might hurt it it can't hurt this because it's do poor no matter what uh, is unfortunately perhaps what they're thinking.
0: Yeah, it's just a shame. I, it's it's. Did you ever think you'd see the day where you'd have like a a, a pay per view with with two championship fights and it's like they're doing it to prove a point and to get no buys? Like that just <laughs> you know, like I remember watching these <laughs> UFCs and seeing title fights and be like, oh my god, this is huge. I can't wait for this. And now it's gotten to the point where like they're sabotaging the show by putting on two title fights. Right. I wonder if that's true or not,
1: but like it it is a mindset because so many of of MMA fans come from pro wrestling. And that's kind of like a mindset that's been like, we've been led to believe that that's like how Vince McMahon the evil Vince McMahon thinks like he'll try to sabotage his own wrestlers so like only the ones that he secretly approves of uh, do well at the box office and then he'll be proven correct and uh, so I think people like transfer that idea into the world of MMA and I'm not sure if it's true in either place so um, I think the final answer is that we don't have any idea
0: I just think it's just a funny thing to be like, ha ha, we'll show him. We'll all lose money.
1: That's right. All of us. <laughs> yeah. That, that doesn't really make much sense in the, in the long term. Um, so, uh, at snoring elbow asks your thoughts on Yano Omega match. Um, price adds, Why are you wrong about Kenny Omega? And how sorry are you for it? Um, that's directed at me. Yes. Um, first, are are you watching the New Japan Pro Wrestling G1 Climax? Uh,
0: no, I'm not. Probably because I think I have to, you have to pay for it, right? The subscription service.
1: Oh my god, this is horrifying. So you are not a subscriber to the New Japan World?
0: I like I. Okay, I got. What do I have? I have Netflix. I have WWE Network. I have Direct TV Now. I have Spotify. Like, what else can I? I can't. I'm done. I'm done giving away $9.99.
1: That's not nearly enough. You got You don't have Hulu. You don't have Amazon. You don't have the Marvel Comics Unlimited. You don't have New Japan World. Like, I don't even understand how you how you can can survive as a human being without access to to all of these things. Like, what what is wrong with you?
0: I there's I mean like it'll air on Axis TV every once in a while and I'll turn it on but I mean to be honest with you um, from what I've seen minus like Okada I haven't really been like captivated by anything and I'm sure that's like blasphemy and awful to say but like watching like uh, what's the, the is it Will something Osprey that his name? Oh my God! Yeah, I hate, I hate that. I, so like, yeah, I, I watch like guy. these matches, and like, I get that it's fake, and wrestling is supposed to be silly. But at the same time, <laughs> it's not supposed to be a, a choreographed dance routine. And I think what's jaded me is that I go on the network the other day, and I just started watching all this old stuff. And I started, and I, I was also on YouTube. Uh, don't I mean? I'm a 36 year old man, married, and I'm sitting here watching uh, Bruiser Brody and Hanson against uh uh Baba and uh what's his name? Uh, so like and then you watch these hands and stuff and then I watch like San Martino I mean uh versus uh Zabisco and these are just fights and so it's very hard to like then watch like acrobats.
1: So I, I totally understand that, but like some of these new Japan pro wrestling guys are, are really good. So it's funny uh, because the, the match he's talking about in particular comedy match that was on yesterday uh, as part oh, of the G one climax. So this is a, we uh, a month long tournament in which like all the best wrestlers uh, wrestle each other in, in two different blocks and whoever scores the most points based on wins and draws, um, they wrestle each other for the, for the prestigious uh, G one climax championship, like the, the a tournament championship, much like pride, you know, in, in a, um, but so this one was a comedy match. Cause this one guy's a comedy wrestler. And, and at some point the two guys taped their ankles together, like their guy taped the one guy's ankle and taped the other guy's ankles. So they, they're hopping around in the ring and, <laughs> like throwing each other in the ropes. I saw only a, they I saw a like GIF. Hop... GIF yes. Um, GIF, I'm, I'm sure you meant to say. What you what saw say? a GIF. No, and G- so... no,
0: it's G-I-F, GIF. You, I saw a GIF.
1: Yeah, that's totally, I mean, only a, uh, a horrible person would pronounce it that way, but I'll forgive you Thank because you. you don't even subscribe to New Japan World, so you're obviously broken inside. Um. <laughs> so so anyway they're doing this match and it's like full with tomfoolery uh in like a tournament that's around like super, and so um as you can imagine some people really didn't like this <laughs> there's this one old wrestling manager named jim cornett who used to be like the manager of the midnight express and he carried a tennis racket and wore glasses uh, in the 1980s uh he's super furious uh, about the idea of anybody doing like these comedy matches and stuff like that, and um, to the point of like it being kind of disturbing, and furious. And so, uh, I myself was not disturbed, I found it mildly amusing, and, and I appreciated uh, the opportunity to laugh.
0: So, you do have a heart,
1: I do deep down inside. I, I have a heart, like so. I some people are upset because Kenny Omega is the great white hope. Uh, he's the Conor McGregor uh, of New Japan Pro Wrestling and so like everyone wants him to be the best wrestler in the world and just as good as all the Japanese guys and so there's a lot of pressure to say like he's, he's the best wrestler you've ever seen like people have actually said that and so when I say things like um, I don't think he's the best wrestler I've ever seen he's a very good wrestler and I really like his wrestling matches like uh, that's like considered hating on him and so um, I, that is apparently a reputation I've, I've developed. But I do not feel sorry for saying that he's not the best wrestler I've ever seen uh, or saying that he's a very good wrestler who, who is interesting sometimes. So I I, have no, I feel no need to apologize for that, for some and reason, uh, I will for, not.
0: For, for some reason, we live in this era now where everything has to be the best right now.
1: Right, so they want to say that this guy's better than, like, Kobashi or Toshiyaka Kawada or Misawa or Kiyoshi Tamara or Shawn Michaels or, or whoever. Bruiser Brody. Rick Flair. Bruiser Brody. Pick, Where's like, the, the guy from – Like, and meanwhile, like, no, I refuse to accept that. I think that my favorites are the best guys ever. But then at the same time, I understand, like, you're young, people are young and they're stupid and they haven't experienced life in the in – the, the fullness of all its potential and beauty the way I have. And so a lot of people have bad opinions, and I can accept them. And so I, I ask that others accept mine in what much do, the same gracious way.
0: What I do find funny is when someone uses that, like, it's my opinion excuse, where it's like, your, your opinion can be wrong, by the way. It can be a <laughs> shitty, wrong opinion. hate to break it to you.
1: Yeah, lots of opinions are are ill informed. Like you just don't know any better. And uh, people with like the loudest, uh, most obnoxious opinion are are the people in which that opinion is like the least grounded in knowledge and experience. And because like it, it seems like more when you have like the more you know about something. The less confident you become in your own expertise, because you've seen enough to realize like there's a lot that you don't know, and so like uh, when you hear someone being like really loud and sure of themselves about something like uh, often that's someone who just doesn't know any better. They don't know enough to be unsure of themselves. And so um, I'm not sure that all my opinions are correct. I'm just 98% sure, and that's the kind of humility I think most people
0: have. I think I've always. So that makes sense. Yeah, but I mean, you're pretty much always right. The gif, the gif, uh, almost gif always. Thing. But otherwise, uh,
1: yeah, that's my one. That's the two percent. But I'm working, working on it. I'll, I'll look into it. <laughs> all right, so I think we've covered that, and you didn't watch it, and I thought it was kind of funny, um, but it's super funny, just like mildly funny. That's like enough. Chuckle. You chuckle. That's all I ask.
0: Like, huh. so, yeah, you, even, you probably even said like to an, yourself, it, huh? This is amusing.
1: It was like an Adam Sandler movie level chuckle.
0: Ugh. But like old Adam Sandler movie, right?
1: Yeah, like it could have been part of like a Billy Madison scene, but okay. not a really good one where like, oh, shampoo is better. Like not that good. Not like new magazine day good. Um, but just like uh, uh, okay. So yeah, it was kind of funny. It was gotcha. mildly amusing. Okay. Yeah. Alright, so moving on. Um, Big Mo which is a pretty cool name. I wish that was my name. Uh, wants to know, what's your take on UFC's policy of banning individual reporters slash media outlets who dare oppose their view or write, f- or write facts? Um, I don't approve of it myself.
0: <laughs> why, and why is that, John? <laughs> because I
1: think it's wrong. I think that people should be allowed to uh, oppose views they find Uh, morally incorrect or also just factually incorrect or or they just disagree like i think it's okay it's part of life it's that people have opinions and sometimes agree and you don't and and i also i also approve of right backs that's a good thing too and so um at the same time uh ufc uh, you know, I don't own the UFC, and other journalists don't own the UFC, and fans don't own the UFC, and they have no obligation to, like, allow uh, people into their event and sit in a seat that would otherwise probably cost 1000 or 500 or $5,000 and uh, enjoy their show and eat their food and all that stuff. Like, they're not obligated to offer. So, um I disagree with their media policy, but I, you know I don't think they're unethical or anything. That's really, it's really up to them if they want to do things differently than every other sports organization. In the world,
0: I, I guess that what I would what I would wonder is how much does a ban prevent you from doing your job? Because I know I talk about this all the time, but oftentimes I don't know how much is actually being done at events to like like so you're there watching a fight tweeting out results that i could do from home and it seems to me like people like yourself and josh gross like and loretta hunt like you guys are still able to do your job why it might be one step away like you might not be able to you know get the free food but if you really want to you can still get your work am i wrong
1: yeah. So I think it's, um, it's very possible, especially in, in today's environment to to do almost everything you need to do from the comfort of your own home. And so for me, it, it's rarely if ever been an issue to not be able to attend UFC events as their guest. Like, it's just not a big deal. Uh, I don't necessarily want to travel to Las Vegas all the time. Although now that you live there, maybe, you know, maybe it's more appealing, but, um, it, you know, it's we not like a, something that, spare room. that <laughs> it's not something where I'm like, Oh, I got you. I can't wait to go to Vegas, baby. Cause I mean, I've been to Vegas like 20 or 30 times or whatever. So it's not, um, it doesn't affect me in, in a grand way. It, 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 does. It can kind of affect you. Like it's irksome to me that like, um, UFC is the one entity that doesn't send me press releases. So like, if you see like on my Twitter, I'm all, I'm, often like sharing information that promoters send me about um uh, the events that they have coming up or this is going to be on television or here's the main event of this card or or that card and I put it on twitter for for mma fans uh you know it's harder to do that because UFC doesn't include me on their mailing list, and like little things like that, or like I don't have access to the the 10-minute um, junket interviews they put together with fighters that are going to be fighting on upcoming cards, where like the fighter will do like two hours of interviews, 10-minute interviews, all in a row. So they do like 10 or 12 interviews, one after another. Um, I'm not a part of that, and so little things like that are sometimes problems but uh, for me like it's not a big deal and especially at this point where like I'm not even like writing event previews I'm not covering the event live uh, uh, in that in that way and I, I'm not doing results story like mostly I'm doing stories like the one we did on Chris where like we go and tell the story of the athlete and so it's uh, it, it doesn't affect me if I was like a beat reporter that was covering the day-to-day operations of MMA um, it it would probably be pretty difficult to do without the UFC's cooperation so I could see how it it is it is a, a compelling threat for some people
0: well they send me press releases so if you need them I got you
1: <laughs> awesome well that that actually would be <laughs> uh helpful um maybe i'll hit you up on that but so they what what are your thoughts as kind of like a not an outsider but like someone who's not impacted by it like uh do you does it bother you that they do this or is it just something you've grown to accept that they're going to punish people that they feel are are enemies and or or not playing ball the way they want to play or not uh, just completely like giving in to their every whim. Like yeah. we've you've seen enough of that that it it doesn't it doesn't impact you
0: anymore. Well, it's not that it doesn't impact me. I mean, it just doesn't shock me anymore. But what it does bother me is the fact that like, it we're still at this point where like if you ask a hard hitting question or a, a question that can get a negative answer or you're shedding light on something that isn't positive, you're looked at as someone who isn't there for the company and. When you're not like your, your job is not to promote the UFC. Your job is not to sell pay-per-views. Your job is not to, uh, you know, be buddy, buddy with everyone. Your job is to report the facts. And it, it always surprises me when, you know, you people would be looked at at press conferences and they give you like a side look or like even fans on Twitter would be like, why are you always so negative? Like you're doing your job. You, you don't work for the UFC. A- and we've got this idea that because MMA at one point was so underground and, and not mainstream, that we all need to work together to make MMA as popular as, as possible, and do that while sacrificing our integrity for our work.
1: Yeah, it's definitely part of like an old kind of mentality in which was maybe was necessary, like in the in the late nineties uh, when when you know the sport was still dead and it wasn't allowed in most civilized States and you weren't allowed to buy it on pay-per-view unless you had like a, a satellite dish. Like I think there there's truth to the fact that we were all in this together trying to keep the sport alive. like, at this point, though, like you know, it's on Fox Television, like mainstream as it gets, like actual broadcast television. It, the company sold for four billion dollars, for God's sake. Like you know, I think we're past the part of like, oh, you got to support the the sport. You're hurting the sport. It's bad for the sport. Like the sport is okay. Like <laughs> the sport doesn't need. Uh, doesn't need us in that way it just needs you know now we're we're here to to serve the audience the fans and the and and the fighters in some ways and like tell their true stories and like uh i don't think you should ever be ashamed of uh telling the truth about something and so and if someone doesn't like that it it, the problem it's probably they're the one who's wrong um and that's just the the bottom line as stone cold would say wow
0: good good reference
1: knocked in that stone cold reference let's do one more do you want to do one more one more let's do it all right so we got to get in another pro wrestling one because we haven't talked about pro wrestling enough In this, when you're the only pro
0: wrestling podcast in the world you kind of have to ask pro wrestling questions
1: i mean the point is is like we're doing the only mma podcast in the in the entire on the entire internet right and we still have to fill in the gap for pro wrestling because no one talks about it, and, and there are no pro wrestling podcasts. And, and so we're here. We're here for that too.
0: You're welcome, pro wrestling. And
1: so Sheamus, uh, know, actual Sheamus wants to know. The actually wants to tell, <laughs> not the actual Sheamus because they they spell it differently. But another Sheamus wants to know. Uh, actually, wants to tell us first. Bret Hart was my favorite wrestler. Am I wrong? question mark hated michaels and austin and their rivalries because of it so uh are you wrong if bret hart is your favorite wrestler and i think the answer of course yes
0: well you're wrong okay here's here's my take on this you're wrong if he's your favorite wrestler you're wrong well okay you're wrong if you think he's the best wrestler because that's not true but for a long time i hated him I didn't understand why anyone liked Bret Hart. I didn't understand why anyone thought he was this great technical wrestler. He literally, to me, wrestled the same match over and over again. He was like a, the WWE version of Flair to me. I just could not get up for it. I'm sure if you saw it you know, once every you know six months in your territory, you'd be awed by it. But otherwise, who cares? But after going back and studying and doing my, my research and seeing some part of history, the stuff he did... In, in response to, to Austin and putting Austin over and saying that Austin, he was on the mic and he said that Austin was the best wrestler in the WWE at the time. This was before Austin became, you know, huge as he was. And the the, the willingness to have those matches with, with Steve and, and to make him appear as, as, in, as badass as he was, it really shed a whole new light on, on Bret Hart to me. And so I've completely done a 180. I appreciate what he's done in regards to the business, but I will still never like watching him wrestle.
1: So how about this though? Like so the the broader point here that he's making is that so Bret Hart was his favorite wrestler and as such, hated Shawn Michaels and Steve Austin because they Bret Hart. one of which Shawn Michaels was his enemy in real life as well as in wrestling and Steve Austin was just his enemy in wrestling. Like, is it okay In the year 2017 or the year 1999, this was the case for this person. Like, is it okay to hate people because your favorite wrestler is competing against them? Is that normal? Do we want to encourage that? Or is that like a...
0: It's normal when you're watching it at the time and if you're like 12. But as you get older, like I think that you need to stop hating and start like... That sounds. This sounds really cliche, but stop hating and start appreciating. Um, like, <laughs> like I hated Bret Hart. Now I go back and I watch him in Austin or whatever, and I don't hate him. You still want Austin to win, but it, like you can sit there and you're like, "Wow, that was a really good match," or "Wow, that was really cool what Bret did there." Well, so if you still have a harbor a hatred, like if you still hate the Iron Sheik because you liked Hulk Hogan, if you're still mad at Sergeant Slaughter for turning on you and. Siding with General Adnan. If you're still mad at Hogan for leg dropping Savage and joining the NWO, yeah, you have a pro- that's a problem. can you be mad though. Like,
1: wrestler has like a shoot brother, like rivalry with someone like Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. Like, is it a does it make sense to like not like purposely not enjoy Shawn Michaels because Bret Hart doesn't like him in real life? Um, do you owe that to your favorites? Like, say you like um, Rashad Evans, is it important then that you dislike John Jones? Like, how far do we take this? How well, far if, is reasonable?
0: I feel like there's certain people you should just hate, regardless. And Shawn Michaels is up there. Like, you should just hate <laughs> Kevin Nash. Uh, like, you know, like that's fine. Like, you're how supposed can to you hate Kevin name? Nash? Um, because he was just—he was awful like when He's dally amazing. when dally had the book he was fine but otherwise than that <laughs> i mean i've never seen a guy that appears like more listless in the ring and looked like <laughs> as if he did not want to be there and was almost upset that someone wanted to wrestle and like he'd get tagged in and he'd be like fuck <laughs>
1: You'd be so mad if someone tried to do like moves or something. Like like as when I was younger and like really into like the work rate of it and stuff, like I I hated those guys. But like as like an older person, like when I listened to like when I interviewed Kevin Nash and then go back and like listen to him do media and stuff and then watch his matches, like as an older person I almost respect the way that like he made all this money in this like industry that he Obviously, he obviously had total disdain for everything
0: that was happening in pro wrestling. That I give him credit for. The fact that he made as much money as he did and for something that he didn't appear to like doing. And the fact that he, like, will completely change history and just be like, well, you know, I didn't want to go over that night. I I told him, like, me having the title would be bad for business, but they wanted to do it. So...
1: (laughs) and he would just go into the ring and they would do these interviews and he would look so disinterested and 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 yet like people like some people were really into that and maybe that's like uh in a way because like so many pro wrestlers are so earnest about everything like they and and are trying so hard like there's so much try hardism in, in pro wrestling that like the fact that this guy just went in there and totally like and obviously did not give a shit about anything um i think was like a part of his appeal like he was cool in a way that other wrestlers aren't cool by virtue of being terrible at wrestling and not giving a fuck like that was that in itself was cooler than like almost anything any other wrestler could have or ever did in in their careers
0: that's like kind of i think you might be swaying I think this is this does happen often. I think you're swaying me. I think the fact that there's someone in the back going, "Oh man, you know, I live for this business. I've been doing it for 20 years. I can't wait to get out there. Like I'm only doing this for the love." And then Nash is like, "Well, I got a 10 minute segment, and then I'm going home. I'm not <laughs> like, oh, you're not going to stay for the main? No, I'm not booked. <laughs> like <laughs> uh, Hogan's got the Miller lights in the limo, brother. <laughs> yeah, just be like." Look, I showed up. Like, I guarantee he never showed up for the beginning. I guarantee he walked in with 10 minutes to spare, suited up real quick, and said, you know, just tell me when to hit my mark. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to give you my 10, and then give him my check. <laughs> it's tremendous. I love that man.
1: And uh, All right. So, yeah, one. yeah he, okay.
0: Kevin Nash is my favorite wrestler. I take it back.
1: He's, t- he's the number one wrestler of all time, and anybody who doesn't like Kevin Nash is, is a fucking mark and that's an insult,
0: so it's, it's all, I think. It's, it's all fake, guys. It's, a fake, <laughs> it's a phony phony wrestling. And like, when you really start to realize that it's phony wrestling and then you watch like a Nash or a Luger and you realize they have to do this, oh, and fake like, <laughs> fake, like they got punched, <laughs> it becomes a lot funnier. Uh, like older Luger stuff. Oh, God. Like uh, when
1: he came back from WWE Luger, like where like it's like, he would almost seem to forget like what was happening like in the ring like as he was in the ring like in the middle of the match and he's just like oh yeah I'm supposed to pretend like this guy's hitting me now like he would forget, in the middle of like a guy hitting him you, he would like be looking around and, and thinking about other stuff and then he's like oh yeah I'm wrestling like uh, I don't know like that kind of stuff really amuses me.
0: It might be because he's awful. It's totally because he's awful. But, yeah. Did you you ever, really quick, did you ever see, I want to say it was a YouTube match where, uh, not YouTube match, but it's on YouTube, where I think it was him and Brody, and... Brody, you know. Hey, oh yeah, with the Bro- cage. Brody was known for being stiff and working his way, and if you didn't want to work that way, you're gonna get fucked. And Luger was like this baby face and like super green, and everyone loved him. And like Brody didn't like have any respect for him, so like I guess he wouldn't sell for him for like the first minute and a half of the match, and Luger just jumps over and runs away or something.
1: It's pretty funny if you haven't seen it. Like, so Luger is trying to wrestle this giant crazy man, Bruiser Brody, and he's, like, doing his regular Lex Luger, like, stomp the mat and throw these goofy punches. And and Brody's just standing there. He's, like, feeling so disrespected that that, this man is involved in his industry and, like – he is in the ring in a cage match with this goofball who doesn't even know how to throw a punch and he's just standing there and Luger's like looking around at the referee like what the fuck is going on here like this guy's not something's weird and then I guess the story is is that like he saw like so Brody was known for like uh blading and like bleeding uh in his matches the guy's hands were covered with like razor blades and uh he's not selling he's acting weird and fucking Luger uh just climbs the fence and like it's funny you saw it right like the way he climbs the fence like he shoot climbs this fence like i'm getting the fuck out of here right.
0: it's like why doesn't everyone just climb it, it that way because the matches be over quick. right
1: <laughs> it was not like one of these like i'm gonna take 35 minutes climbing this fence it was like this man if i do not get out of this cage right now uh climb the fence and uh it, it is like a glorious moment in wrestling history for sure
0: but who had the last laugh because Luger did not get stabbed in a Puerto Rican bathroom.
1: <laughs> it's true. Um, although lots of other terrible things happened and that. We'll have to share that on on another podcast because um, despite our promises to each other and to the audience and to the world, we are currently 17 minutes over our intended uh, time <laughs> and, uh, so probably we should just stop talking
0: absolutely but uh we blew it folks and we apologize but uh thank you for tuning in as always we are on itunes so please uh, subscribe rate review our fake sponsor zappos really appreciates it uh we appreciate it um and yeah thank you for tuning in and listening we're excited for the cyborg story coming out we're excited for the fights this weekend Uh, We have UFC 214. We also have the PFL coming to you from Everett, Washington, which is where I'm at right now. And you can watch that on NBC Sports Network. Don't have to pay a penny. Just turn the channel on and you'll see us. And uh, be on the lookout for uh, Stoughton's like 72 books he's writing. (laughs) Zappos.com.